This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. For all of the conspiracy theorists in the room, I hate to break the news to you, but you're being tracked right now. Most of you are. Most of you right now are being tracked. Every movement that you make is being tracked. When you go to the bathroom, it's being tracked. Do you know how it's being tracked? Because most of your phones contain within them a GPS unit that is constantly communicating to the GPS grid that's flying overhead. That's how, with our iPhones, we can log on and get navigation because it is connected into a GPS grid, a grid of satellites that beam down all over the world and can tell us precisely as we stand in this spot what coordinate of latitude and longitude we're standing on. That's why when your cell coverage drops, you can still navigate. Because your phone is connected to a GPS unit. GPS has changed everything. It's changed the way we navigate. Because most of us, if we're trying to figure out where the closest target is, right, we pull out our phones or punch something into the GPS unit trying to figure out where is the closest shopping center to where I'm at right now. I mean, we used to have to plan that stuff. Right, you used to have to do some research. All right, I'm going to go to that Walmart on the day after Thanksgiving, and I know that that's close to this. And now we just get in the car and go and punch it in and GPS. But GPS has changed more than that. Bombs are now literally guided by GPS coordinates. And they'll fly through valleys and precisely hit a GPS coordinate. It's changed everything. And I think that maybe it's thrown us off a little bit. There's this scene, I don't know if you guys are fans of The Office, right? There's this scene where Michael Scott, the leader, the uh, big boss of The Office, is driving with his cohort, Dwight. If you're not familiar with it, um, Michael is a little bit arrogant, a little bit egocentric, and his friend, Dwight, is just weird. Um, And... If you've, I don't need to explain it. Let's just watch this clip together. Watch what happens when they're trying to follow this GPS. Make the next right turn. How do they know? How does this know where to turn? That's very impressive. Through everything I had at that guy, nothing. That's how it goes sometimes, you know. You lose everything and everything falls apart and eventually you die and no one remembers you. That is a very good point, Dwight. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. It means bear right. No. Up there. It said right. It said take a right. No, 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 look. It, it means go up to the right, bear right, over the bridge, and hook up with 307. Make a right. Maybe it's turn. a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's look, a lake there. I think it knows where it's going. This is the, the lake. machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's not Stop yelling. yelling. There's no road here. Remain calm. I have trained for this. Okay. Exit the window. Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible. Look out for a lake, 
That's one of those scenes that you see that and you go, there's no way in the world that we can ever blow it that big, right? There's no way that I could ever get lost with my GPS and end up in a lake. Watch this clip. Divers just pulled an SUV from the Mercer Slough. Welcome back. I'm Molly Shen. And I'm Mike Dardis. Three women escaped the vehicle and they're blaming bad GPS. Good morning, Mike and Molly. Well, the women are okay. I talked with one of their co-workers who tells me they're in town for a conference. They were on this road right here late last night, got lost. Well, they drove right into the slough and just kept on going. <laughs> sitcom parodies of something like this and uh, to actually see it's surprising. He says one of the women immediately jumped to safety. And we understand the other two women tried to stay with the SUV as long as they could, standing on these side door frames, but they finally had to wade to safety when the vehicle kept drifting out farther into the slough. Now they're left with a washed out rental vehicle and a GPS system that might not have quite lived up to its promise. You know, it's easy to get lost when we're listening to the wrong guidance. It's easy to get lost when we're listening to the wrong guidance. And we live in a world that has a lot to say about what life and death really are. We live in a world that has a lot of commentary about what it means to be really alive, moments when we're the most alive, and what death in our lives looks like. And if we're listening to the wrong guidance, we will get lost. Biologists define life simply by this. Life is defined by that which is growing and moving. An organism is alive when its cells are growing, multiplying, and there is movement involved. So if life really is about growth and movement... One of the most fundamental questions we could ever answer is, what are we growing towards? What are we moving towards? I'd like to look at two verses that are going to become the anchors for this series. They're really where we're going to, over the next few weeks, camp out and think and ask God to put these together in our hearts And to bring those things that are dead alive. These are two of, I think, the most important statements Jesus ever made. The most audacious, uh, the most incredible claims that he ever made about himself. The first one that we find is in John 10.10. We actually spent some time in our last series looking at this a few times. 
The Bible says this, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come, Jesus speaking, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John 10, 10. Jesus says in that verse that I came. The purpose of me leaving heaven and coming to earth was this, so that you could have life. That means that right now, some of us are not alive. Because when Jesus says that, he's redefining what life means. Life isn't simply breathing, having a job, a nice house, good cars, putting clothes on the kids. Life is something more than that. And Jesus says, I came to bring you life. And there's a plan out there. There's a plan to steal that, to kill that, and to destroy that. But I came to give you life and to give it to the full. And then in John 14, 6, what very well may be the anchor verse for our church, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, in that statement, tells us something that biologists have been telling us as long as they've been discovering what God already knew. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, there is a direction, there is a movement that life has, and I am that direction. You see, it's important for you to know what the gospel invites you to do. It's important for us to know that because that has been misunderstood in our culture so vastly that we've blown it. Because the invitation of the gospel is this. It's simple. It's to follow Jesus. It's to follow him. That's what the gospel invites us to do. It's to follow God. In Jesus Christ. If life is growth and movement, then our movement is to be to Jesus. It's to be towards Him. There's a direction that's been given to us. I'm the way and the truth. So what does it mean as a matter of fact, let's, let's just take a step back. When Jesus begins his earthly ministry, the first few things that we see him do, let's just use the gospel of Mark, for example. As Jesus goes to a few fishermen, 
beginning first with James and John. And he says, hey, come and follow me. And he calls out to them. They're in a boat. And they do. Drop their nets. They come and follow him. Then he goes to Andrew and to Peter. Would you follow me? And they do. The Bible then records that he goes to Levi, a tax collector, and he says these words, follow me. And he does. He invites us to follow him. And if life is direction and movement and growth. Jesus says, "When I, he says, I am the way in John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's saying that I'm the direction. And I would go so far as to tell you this, that we are either walking towards life or death. That we are either walking towards life or death. So what is a follower? Because I think that most of us, most of us that love Jesus and, and have identified with the presentation of the gospel that, that he died for our sins, that he wants to recreate, most of us would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. But I'm afraid that we've blown that because our culture... I mean, makes an idol out of being an individual and a leader to the point that we've came up with our own subtle plans and asked God to bless them. But the invitation of the gospel is not that we go out and be the greatest leader. It's that we simply follow Jesus. So what is a follower? Number one. The first thing that a follower is, the first thing that we need to know about being a follower is that we don't choose the path. We don't choose the path. If I'm following Jesus, he chooses the path. It's not my job to determine the next stop, the next stay. He chooses the path. And if I'm following Jesus, the next thing that I would tell you is that as a follower, we don't choose the place. We don't choose the destination. And so many times, like the prodigal son, we come up with our own destination and just say, God, would you just bless me and go ahead and give me my inheritance and let me have this? Because I feel like if I could just get this, life would be awesome. And like the father in Luke 14, God goes, fine. Have it. 
And we find out how empty life is when we don't follow Jesus. Because when we follow him, he gets to determine the destination. And the thing about following is it's scary. It's scary because we don't know where we're going. We don't know if it's going to be comfortable or inconvenient. Is it going to be challenging? Ultimately, it's his decision when we're following. But let me give you something that's freeing to know. When it's God's plan, it's always going to be God's results. When it's God's plan, it's always going to be God's results. And so many of us have been living in the fruit of our own plans. And some of that fruit seems like it's okay. Some of us know it's just downright rotten. But when we follow Jesus, it's his plan and his results. And we live in a world that is filled with zombies. If you've watched The Walking Dead or World War Z or any of these like new zombie phenomenon, you see the ugliness of decay that is portrayed as a zombie that is dead on the inside but has the form of life, that they're completely dead but there is this thing that looks like they're alive. We live in a world that's filled with zombies. People who look like they're alive, they breathe and they eat and they, they have what we think are, it looks like a very normal existence, but they're dead on the inside. Because when we end up following the wrong things, we end up dead. And the truth is, every one of you, including me, is following something. When we follow the wrong things, we end up dead. So what are the wrong things? What are the wrong things that we're so prone to follow? The things that we bend towards, the things that we know we shouldn't be going after, we shouldn't be chasing them, but somehow when I look at the direction of my life, it stays behind this as it chases, as it follows this wrong thing. What are they? Here in three things. Number one, sinful appetites. Sinful appetites. Most of the things that have been perverted in our lives that become sinful initially were good. Right? Food, good. Sex, good. Children, good. Family, good. Friends, good. But all of those things can become an appetite that can become sinful. 
Because when we don't let our appetites get checked and say, no, that's too much. No, that's because the appetite only knows one word. That's the word more. Feed me, feed me, feed me. That's why if we always eat until we're full, it's not going to work out real well for us. It just doesn't. That's why learning to eat healthy is about eating to like you're 75, 70% full and just going, yeah, I'm done. It's over with. I could eat some more, but I'm done. Like last night, I shouldn't have ate that whole bowl of cheese tortellini, but I did. And I should have stopped about halfway through that thing, and it hurt me for like a good solid two hours. Right? Appetites can become sinful. That's where the guy who is happily married with children looks at somebody else and desires them and begins to pursue them and chase them. That's where the person says, I have, God has provided for me. I have a great job. I can take care of my family. We have a wonderful home, but I want more money. And so I will sacrifice time with my family to earn more. Because appetites can become sinful. Number two, those friends, and you know who those friends are. I don't need to tell you about those friends because you know who those friends are, those friends that you know you shouldn't be chasing. Because you know that every time that you get around them, that you get to follow them, that you get to spend time with them, that they end up leading you the wrong way. Those friends are the wrong things that we follow. And next week we're going to talk about biters. People you can't get too close to because when they, you get close to them, they'll bite you and infect you with their junk. And number three, good things that we've elevated to supreme things. See, your kids, my kids, good things. But it is easy in our culture to elevate our children to supreme things and make them little mini-gods in our homes. Your jobs, working to provide for your family, good thing. Working so that you can get enough money to buy a bass boat and sacrificing time with your kids, supreme thing. We can turn a good thing into a supreme thing, and all of a sudden, that which was good becomes bad. Life naturally wraps itself around the center, and the truth is, is that when we have the wrong center, when the wrong thing becomes the center of our lives, we are walking dead. Because we're walking towards something that will kill us. We're chasing and following something. And you're all following something. Don't live in the illusion that you're not. That you're doing whatever you want to do. Because you want a new pool table because your friend has a new pool table. Really? You want that? Or do you want that because your friend has it? 
I want a bigger and nicer car. Why? Because I want it. Or is it because you saw somebody that had it that now you're following? We're all following something. And when we follow the wrong thing, when we have made the center of our lives the wrong thing, we simply become the walking dead because the inside of our life is rotten and dead. So what does it take to walk to life? What does it take to walk to life? Let's go back to John 10. 10. Jesus says, I came to bring you life, but the thief, there is a plan to steal that life, to kill it, and to destroy it. So we know that Jesus is life. And then Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to experience real, authentic life is to follow Jesus. The only way to experience real, authentic life, life that's not just breathing, life that's not getting up every morning and going to bed every night and walking through the same routine, the only way is to follow Jesus. So what do we need to do to follow Jesus? What does it take to follow Jesus? What, what needs to happen in us? The first thing that we need to do is to admit that our plan, that your plan is busted. God, I tried to do it. I came up with my own way. I said, God, would you just give me this? And you gave it to me. And now I have it. And it's just completely broken and busted. God, my plan doesn't work. And sometimes we bust it by following the wrong thing. And sometimes... Y'all listen to this. Sometimes we get it by going the wrong direction. Sometimes we get it by not going at all. Sometimes we bust the plan by not going at all. By refusing to allow God to work in our lives and to change us. What is the second thing that we need to do? We need to accept that only Jesus can lead you to life. Only Jesus can lead you to life. There's a lot of things around you that you probably think, if I can just get that, if I can just touch that, if this can just be a part of my life, if I can just be friends with this person, if this thing could just happen, I would be a little bit more alive. And the Bible tells us that that's a lie. That that is a complete and total lie. The only way that you can never be completely and fully alive is to follow Jesus Christ. That's it. And number three, we need to allow Jesus to resurrect our life. Allow Jesus to resurrect your life. You see, the ultimate purpose of every experience in life is to allow us to encounter God and to know Him more. So when we talked about sinful appetites that always just want more, when we sit down and we have that nice steak that's brought out, as a believer, God has freed us to take a bite of that steak and to go, man, God is good. 
This steak is amazing, God. You're awesome. But when our appetites become sinful, all we can think of is I want more. Can y'all bring me another steak? Medium well. The freedom of the gospel and the invitation of following him means that when we walk through situations that are busted and broken, that we don't have to sit in the devastation of it. That God, in the middle of that moment, can raise new life in us. And that is completely independent of the circumstances. I have seen men and women who were diagnosed with terminal diseases that were more alive than any of us. Because something happened inside of them. So the gospel Jesus frees us. He frees us to experience resurrection, to move from death to life. And we need to allow Jesus to resurrect our lives. In the Walking Dead, the TV show, they used the term walkers to describe the zombies. Truth is, we're all walkers. All of us, every single one of us in this room right now, we're all walkers. The real question is what are we walking towards? What are we walking towards? What direction does your life have? What are you following right now? If right now in this moment, you look in your life and you go, it is just absolutely rotten. Right now, my life is just filled with death. I am a walking dead. Here's the beautiful thing. It doesn't end there. It doesn't end there because Jesus was dead too. He was dead and in a tomb and completely completely dead for three days. And by the power of God, he demonstrated to us that not, it doesn't matter what death you're ever going to deal with, the power of God can overcome that and can resurrect us. So what are you following? What are you walking towards? What are you walking in? Let's pray. God, today as we pause and ask you to come and speak to us, many of us today realize that our lives have been walking behind things that are dead. That we have chased and given ourselves over to things that are the wrong things when we understand that you came to bring us life. And so, God, today, for many of us, we ask you to come and resurrect us from the inside, to clean out the things that are dead, and to break us down so that we can be remade by you, resurrected by you. So with every head bowed, nobody looking around, eyes closed, everybody still. 
I want to ask you a question. This is important for you. So don't rush past this. What are you following? What are you following? Are you following something that's leading you to death or are you following Jesus? Because only following Jesus will lead you to life. And if today you recognize that I, my life has been chasing something that's killing me, it only takes one moment to change that. Because the Bible tells us that if we're willing to confess our sins, that He's faithful to forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So if that's you today, you would say, I've been chasing the wrong thing and it's killing me. And today I want to commit that from this point on, I'm going to follow Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? That's awesome. Is there anybody else in the room that would say, hey, I've been, I've been running after something that's broken and lost and sinful. But I want to train. I want to change today. Is there anybody else that would say that? The second question is for some of us in the room. That that big question of am I following Jesus, we've answered that. But there's something in our lives that's dead. And for some of us, it smells so bad that others are starting to notice it. And we know that I need to give that thing up and let Jesus take control of all of this. Because I need to follow him in that area of our life. I, I'm not asking you to tell us that in no eyes. Nobody's looking around. But if you want to commit to Jesus right now, that I know, God, you're calling me to turn away from this and to turn towards you. And I'm going to do that. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? That's awesome. Let's pray. God, today we just look into your heart and we ask you to come and do something amazing inside of us to resurrect that which was dead and make it alive. And we don't know how you do that, but we know that you're the only one that can. So God, do it by your power and by your might. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.